one parent, two kids, 419 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the cultural, historical, and natural treasures of the United States. Mm-hmm. But by and large, since we have a pass here, people have been moving through that pass for thousands of years, trading through it, doing other things through it. All of that means that as people have been congregating in this area and moving through it, that's also been a trading route for things like the Santa Fe Trail, which also brought the Civil War here because both armies are moving on the Santa Fe Trail. You get things like Route 66, you get uh, ancient trading routes where people were carrying things by hand. We heard about Pecos National Historical Park from a volunteer at Montezuma Well late last year. He had previously volunteered at Pecos and told us what an interesting site it was, and that it attracted many visitors as a major Civil War battle occurred there. We hadn't realized that the Civil War had made it that far west. It wasn't until we visited Pecos that we realized the great breadth of history represented. Prehistoric ruins to the establishment of Pecos Pueblo to colonization and missionary which culminated in the Pueblo Revolt of 1860. The revolt's success stands out as the only time European colonizers were expelled by Native Americans. The Spanish reconquered the area 12 years later. The Santa Fe Trail passed right by, and of course there was already a mentioned Civil War battle. It also was home to the Fork Ed Lightning Ranch. Of course, there is no way to do justice to even one of these stories, let alone thousands of years of history represented at this special site. This episode serves as an introduction to inspire you to learn more about any of or all of these topics. Ranger Eric was generous in the time he gave us, and we hope that after this helpful introduction, you are able to visit virtually or in person. This visit occurred in June 2020 after the site was partially reopened after being closed due to the COVID pandemic. You may hear muffled voices because of the masks being worn as well as the distance between us. You will also hear references to buildings closed, all part of the MPS efforts to promote hashtag recreate responsibly. Please check the website for more information on hours and openings and other restrictions related to the ongoing pandemic. Mm -hmm. But by and large, since we have a pass here, people have been moving through that pass for thousands of years, trading through it, doing other things through it. All of that means that as people have been congregating in this area and moving through it, that's also been a trading route for things like the Santa Fe Trail, which also brought the Civil War here because both armies are moving on the Santa Fe Trail. You get things like Route 66, you get uh, ancient trading routes where people were carrying things by hand. It's kind of all over the place. So that's one of the reasons why there's a Pueblo here, because of course people were staying here in order to be able to facilitate and benefit from that trade. And then you also get uh, people like the Spanish, we're coming here in order to be able to convert the massive Pueblo that was here. Does that make sense? Yes. Awesome. So the Pueblo was here from when to when? Uh, so the most major Pueblo uh, was constructed around 1400, 1425. The last people left in 1838, so a little over four centuries. Wow. That was also built with the consolidation of smaller Pueblos from around the Pecos River Valley, most of which were from around 1300 or so. So that and means that uh, you start seeing like permanent, large-scale, year-round habitations really around the 1250, 1300 time period. And then that's slowly growing until it forms the massive Pueblo that was here later. Does and that the, make sense? Yes. And yeah. the pass is from where I don't really understand. It connects from where to where. So it's kind of hard for me to... Uh, let me just grab one of these. Or actually, you grab one of those. Oh, perfect. And, uh, <laughs> that way, you know, yeah. I'll... Uh, 
Oh, well, then you're touching it. Yeah, no worries. So, um, so if you have it open to that map, it's right on through there. Okay. That'd be great. That way, also, you know, yeah. I'm not giving you whatever I got or, you know, all that jazz. So basically, Santa Fe's up and over this direction. <laughs> so as you're heading on through the pass, this is where the top of the pass is. So when, uh, when you guys came in, where do you come from? Santa Fe, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you came over the top right, of the pass. Yeah. So you came right on through the top of the pass, and you're dropping down toward the plains. Yeah. yeah. So, so is that where the marker was? Um, a little bit uh, from that, yes. It's relatively close. So that's where the battle would have been fought, and that's where uh, you would have seen a little bit more of like the biggest travel as people were going through, because they're having to go and haul the wagons up to the top of the pass yeah. and then drop on down, or vice versa, as the case may be. Yeah, it doesn't so. feel that mountainous, but you can see the change. In sure. Um, obviously, um, uh, flora and stuff, right? Because right. it's all green. Yep. From that. And of course, you know, like a big chunk of that too is because you guys are green. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, like in the modern era, we just don't have a sense of elevation yeah. and distance the way that we would have if right. you were here 200 years ago. Because then you would have been trying to like have a wagon go all the way up there being hauled by a team of oxen. And then as you're dropping down, that was actually the scary part because there's no brakes. So the oxen are the brakes, and so they've got like this giant wagon with thousands of pounds of material pushing on them, and you've got some driver trying to tell them to stop, and they're you know trying to figure wow. out yeah you know so. But Santa Fe's already at altitude too, mm -hmm. right? Yep. I mean, it got doesn't it. feel like it because it's yeah. We're, yeah. Wow. So yeah. So does that make sense? So great. So yeah. So cool. so that you have several things to choose from. Mm -hmm. So in terms of trails here today, mm -hmm. we have the Ancestral Sites Trail, which starts right on back behind the building. Okay. That's a mile and a quarter round trip and primarily focuses in on Pecos Pueblo and the Spanish Mission Church. Mile and a quarter round trip also means most folks, it's about 45 minutes walk. And that guy that he has on his hands right there, mm -hmm. that will provide more detail about it on there. Okay. Number two, we have a 15 minute drive away is the Civil War Battlefield Trail. That one, if you do the whole thing, is two and a quarter miles and takes most folks about an hour and a half to two hours. It also has 500 feet of elevation change, so it's a little bit more strenuous than what you get out here. Okay. And then our third trail, which is open until one o'clock for entry, is our South Pasture Loop Trail, which is four miles round trip. And that one would be out in quite a bit of sun at this mm -hmm. time. And you have to be out there by one o'clock because that trail closes at three. So you have to be started by one. If and you what to. is that trail? That's primarily focused in on the Fork and Lightning Ranch. Oh, And okay. that, uh, that mostly goes through some ranch lands, through some pasture land, and takes you close to the, for uh, to the Pecos River in one place. I saw we were, this is the church. Mm -hmm. We can't tour the museum, so yep, check. Can't okay. watch the film, check. <laughs> yep, that's perfectly fine. You know. Uh, the church is how far? Is that part of it? If you take the most direct route, which is part of this trail right on over here, it's a mile or a quarter mile for okay. you to walk on up the trail that way. Okay. Or if you take this route back behind, uh -huh. as you circle around, it's in a mile after you've gone through much of Pecos yeah, Pueblo. I'm not sure how and much. Then, stamina they have. Well, you know, if you turn like if, out, we, then... if we go, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I have different opinions. From, if it. we go in, mm -hmm. we can see kind of the Pueblo or yeah. and how mean, much of it's what's left of it. Oh, yeah, how much of it's reconstructed? Very little. So most of it was uh, was re uh, was uh, backfilled in from the archaeology in order to be able to protect it from weathering effects long term. Okay. So that means that much of it is not very visible. There's some rooms that are visible, like the bases of some walls. There's some uh, there's some key that are visible. There are also two kivas that were reconstructed, but those are currently closed due to concerns about enclosed spaces mm -hmm. and coughing and then, you know, all okay. that. So. 
So, yep, back in 1990, we had been a national monument. In 1990, Congress passed two separate acts. They expanded out our land to nearly 7,000 authorized acres and included our story to include things like the Civil War. You mean the Civil War hadn't been included previously? Correct. Oh. Which is one of the reasons why also our battlefield trail has some issues with it. Um, not in a bad way, just that when it was preserved, it was after 130 years of people already picking over the battlefield. It had been private property, other things had happened, which means that there's not necessarily as much remaining there as there would be at other battlefields. And after the Civil War, there was some ranches around the area, but there wasn't a lot of good farmland up there toward the battlefield. Okay. So there probably wouldn't have been a lot of earth being turned over. Okay. That being said, when they found bodies in the past, it's when they've gone to go and, like, for instance, create new buildings, and they're digging out a foundation, and they find a big grave. Things like that has happened. So it's kind of all over the place. Right. And uh, if you want to dive more into this, there's a great book um, by uh, um, Drew Gilpin Faust. She's the president of Harvard. And uh, she wrote a book called This Republic of Suffering that gets into what they did with the wounded and the dead from the Civil War and how people mourned them. Oh, it's in, a in really fascinating in general. book. Okay, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all over the place, but that could also give you an idea of right, kind of generally what it's like. Because there's so. no cemeteries, right? They were just probably buried where they were. Where we they... have no existing grave markers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back in the 1980s, uh, the Congress authorized a study of Civil War battlefields to see what was not currently a part of the Park Service and not currently preserved and uh, classified as how important that battle was and how important it was to be preserved. So Class A was the highest classification in that particular study. Many battlefields were already preserved, so like stuff like Gettysburg and Antietam, they weren't as part of that study because they were already in, in the Park Service system or already preserved. So, Does that make sense? Yeah, so that means in the 80s, this was determined to be a Class A. You got it. Yep. And that probably helped to facilitate the, 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 of the, the NHP designation. Exactly. You got it. Yep. Oh, interesting. No, I mean, it's pretty... Uh, so this is named after Fogel. Did he donate the land? Or? So Buddy and Greer, they donated some of the surrounding land and much of the money for the Vister Center in order to be able to create this building. And that was back in the early 80s. Buddy died in 87 after his death. And as the lands were being figured out, that was also part of the impetus to make it into a National Historical Park because there was a push to be able to include much of the Fork and Lightning Range into the park as well. Which is why those 5,500 or so acres of the old Fork and Lightning Ranch became a part of the park starting in about 1991-1992 as it was being procured for the park service. So they they were kind of, there's always seems to be like a galvanizing force behind a creation of a park. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, individuals. So they, Greer, but, uh, Buddy and, um, sorry, Buddy and Vogelsang. Yep. And, uh, Colonel Vogelsang and Greer and, Garrison So they were, they were married or? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So Buddy Vogelsang had served in World War II. He was a colonel. Colonel Vogelsang, after the war, he and uh, Greer met, they married, and they stayed married for the rest of their lives. Um, I haven't and, seen yeah. any today. Uh, this was their summer evident. home. Okay. They're spending mostly their winters either in Hollywood or in Dallas. Okay. And that, of course, is kind of all over the place. So. And so, but they, they were like, we want this to be preserved. And did they, did they push then for the, that was a big, for the NP? Okay. Yeah, they had actually helped to push for the National Monument designation back in 65 before then because they were already in this area back then. Okay. So there was, a, there was a lot of pushing, but you know, like, there's also a lot of pushback. You know, it was an ongoing, uh, an ongoing movement to try and figure out what this was going to be, how big it was going to be, for basically the better part of, eh, you know, 30, 40 years. Oh, no, thanks. This is, I think,
think it's one of the most interesting parks. I don't think there's that many um, parks that touch on so many different parts of history. Yep, uh, National Historical Parks are like that because they typically tend to be in places where a lot of people have gone through for a long period of time. So like yeah. places like Harper's Ferry, Cumberland Gap, Chaco Culture, those are places that start getting those National Historical Park designations. Yeah. And also, well, the other part of that is that uh, national monuments can be created from existing federal lands by executive order using the Antiquities Act of 1906. Right. Whereas national parks have to be created by Congress and that means that they have to go through a different process. That's also one of the reasons why National Park Service has so many different designations. Mm -hmm. So you can have uh, National Battlefield, National Battlefield Park, National Battlefield Area, or uh, National, you know, like, it's like there's four different battlefield areas because uh, Congress has designated different different names as they were created now. Mm -hmm. Which means that, you know, Congress does what Congress decides to do. And since there's not necessarily a list that Congress says, oh, it has to be in these five different designations, that mean, that's one of the reasons why we have something more like 20 different designations across the National Park Service. Yeah. Um, and is this the furthest west battle in the war? Or? Depends on who you ask. Okay. So, um, <laughs> the, uh, that's not to get too long yeah, into yeah. it. Number one is that the Battle of Alverde, which is also in New Mexico, technically was further west, but it was not decisive. So that's one of the reasons why this is sometimes referred to as the Gettysburg of the West, because uh -huh. it was decisive. There's also a minor skirmish over in Arizona at uh, Picacho Pass. Um, which had all of three guys die. So Arizona is very proud of that. They think that it's the furthest west battle. But the thing is, is that only three guys die, which in eastern terms merits not even a skirmish kind of designation. Right. So it kind of depends on who you ask and what, uh, where they're coming from. Interesting. Okay, and then we were, the two things in the Nazi Junior Ranger, I thought it was interesting that the lady, Camby's wife. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Canby? yeah, was, mm -hmm. that, was that an issue that, I mean, I mean, that's great that she was, you know, that's humanitarian, but. No, I mean, you know, it seemed like everyone was good for it because, I mean, she's treating the men and doing all of that, which, uh, by and large, soldiers are pretty happy with people who treat other soldiers and treat them well, regardless of which side they're on, it seems to be. So. No, more the reverse, like she wasn't treating Union soldiers. You know? uh, because the Union soldiers had all their supplies uh, and had doctors and had stuff like that, whereas the Confederates had lost most of their medical supplies and most of their ability to treat their wounded uh, because of their loss of the supplies right. in the battle. So um, I think it was less about like her choosing to treat only Confederates and more like the Confederates are the ones who are in the most need of going to places like Santa Fe and right. convalescing there. Interesting. And why? How did Santa Fe get captured? Like, why was that already in Confederate hands? Because I mean, I know was, why they wanted to go sure. west. So after um, after Valverde, it was indefensible. The uh, the only fort that was near Santa Fe was Valverde, or excuse me, it was Fort Marcy, which was situated in not a great spot, and they didn't feel like it could be garrisoned and held against a superior Confederate force. So that and Albuquerque were both eva evacuated of as much supplies as they could get out, and those were all being taken on over to Fort Union, which was really the Confederate goal because it has so many supplies, military supplies, food, rations, etc. So Fort Union was Confederate? Or uh, Fort Union was, was Union. Union. Yeah, Fort yep. Union. And then uh, Confederates are trying to take Fort Union right. as a part of their goals. No, because we so. went down to like um, Florida and mm -hmm. it was interesting to me. Some of these forts were like these bastions of Union mm -hmm. because I guess they were defensible. Yep. Yeah. But, and also because they never gave them up too. Right. Like, uh, you know, like for instance, Fort Sumner 
if, uh, if Fort Sumter had actually received orders to fire back, rather than just being pounded for whatever it was, like 72 hours straight, then that might have been a very different story. As it was, they were unwilling to fire on other American forces, unlike the Southerners who were firing on them. Yeah. And then we went to Dry Tortugas, and they were saying that the Confederates had come, and they had no supplies, mm -hmm. but the, they didn't know that, so mm -hmm. they just left. And <laughs> they were able to kind of keep it. Like I guess it was just... It's interesting because like you just think it was like north and south, but it was like more of a patchwork oh, yeah. then. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then we, then we were thinking, why was Texas? I mean, just because they were in the south, but they were they weren't sla big no, slave. They had, slave no, there was a whole bunch of slavery, okay. especially particularly in the eastern part of the state that's close to Louisiana. Yeah. See, um, a lot of people think of Texas right now Hi, as being all of Texas, when in reality, close to the Civil War, it was really like San Antonio, Houston, a little bit of Austin, and a bunch of settlements that were close to like uh, close to Louisiana, which a lot of that had really good soil and places where they could uh, practice chattel slavery, okay. which meant that also the pro-slavery contingent was extremely strong in the state of Texas. Yeah, because most of the forces here that came to, to fight were they kept the Confederacy from Texas. Or, yeah. Texas yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But why they 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 were still part of the Confederacy? But the the language here was all Texans, mm -hmm. yep. just to distinguish, I guess, which cavalry, which regiments they were yeah. from. Yeah, and also part of that is because a big motivator for the Union forces here to recruit New Mexican volunteers is because they're telling people the Texans are coming. They're not saying the Confederacy is coming. They're not talking about slavery the same way. They're actually characterizing it as part of this ongoing dispute between New Mexico and Texas over who owns what land. And that had been very important previous to the Mexican-American War because Texas had claimed the entire west or the entire east side of the Rio Grande River. Which, as a side note, which side are we on? East, west. You got it. So technically, there's still some Texans today who claim that we should be a part, that this here should be a part of Texas. Oh wow! And then what was what was the kind of demographics of like this place at that in like during the Civil War? Mostly you mean like Mexico, here, here yeah, like or native. like the entire New Mexico territory? Yeah, I guess New or, Mexico territory. Uh, primarily Hispanic with large contingents of Pueblo, Indian, and Navajo and Apache peoples. There are relatively few un, like uh, settlers. Uh, European American settlers from the United States because there are already a bunch of people who are here. But primarily Hispanics and uh, Pueblo Indians are the ones that are being uh, right. fine, showing up on stuff like the census. And this was not... What was, it was a it was territory? A territory. Okay. Yep, New Mexico Territory. And when did it become a state? 1912. Oh, oh wow. Same okay. year as Arizona. So a ways away, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was interesting because California was rushed because of the gold rush mm -hmm. into... Yep. You know. There was some talk that uh, New Mexico was going to become the next state, um, especially pre-war, because a lot of Southerners thought it's below the Mason-Dixon, or it's below the um, Missouri Compromise Line. There's some very limited slaveholding south in the state, but by and large, I think that they are very much hopeful that this would become another slave state that would help support their cause in the Senate. But there's not necessarily a companion state to enter in at the same time. Because before the Civil War, oftentimes states were brought in uh, two at a time. One slave, one free, right. in order to maintain that balance of power in the Senate. But then, as a territory, you, you gave a good explanation of why there was like anti-Texas. Mm -hmm. But did they have, were they, what was their thought? 
most people about the Civil War? Uh, since there was so little slavery here, I think most people thought that it was mostly irrelevant to them in terms of slavery, except for the fact that I think there's a lot of concern over what that's going to mean long term. Who is going to become the slaves if slavery is legalized here within the state? And so I think there's a lot of concern there. B, there's a lot of antipathy toward Texas, which as long as Texas is on the other side, there's going to be that. And C, um, the Union can offer a lot more than the Confederacy can. So the Confederacy is basically getting a bunch of volunteers that can't, uh, like they have to volunteer their own mounts, their own uniforms, their own arms, their own everything. Whereas the Union, Union's good. Like they'll offer you a uniform, a tent, a mount, a gun, ammunition, and a lot of the guys who are around here see that as an opportunity not only to serve but also to potentially have some of those weapons and things to be able to use long term. Oh interesting. So, and did they get a salary too? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah they were getting paid $13 a month which was uh, the going rate for an infantryman during the Civil War. And so, so that was that was good money? Yeah I mean for the time yeah. yeah. So I mean you know, like you're putting your life at risk but it was good money and it was uh, you know that it was backed by the federal government as opposed to the South which you know, they had no they had no monetary backing to their currency, so there was no gold or silver backing. Right. So there's a lot of concern that you know the Confederacy economy was already in a deep hole by the time the war started. Yeah, so I mean, it's amazing that it, they lasted as long as they did. I mm -hmm. mean, the more the more you read, the more there was like they never really had a chance. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. I never really thought. I mean, but it lasted four years. Yeah. Yep. But you know, what do you do? What do you do? Thank you very much for listening. Please check out our show notes on our website, expeditionnationalparks.com, and we would love your feedback.